Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and our guest on this episode is Mike Nishi, the Chief Operating Officer of Chicago Event Management, which organizes the Bank of America Chicago Marathon. Mike has been a part of the race since 1990, and this year helped lead the effort that made the Chicago Marathon the first of the six world marathon majors to come back to an in-person event. We will discuss what those decisions were like and how they were made, and what lessons other event organizers might take away from the experience that Mike and his team had with this year's race. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance. It's game on in Raleigh, North Carolina, where champions of every kind and at every level play to win. As one of the nation's premier locations for sporting events, their world-class venues host regional showcases, national tournaments, international championships, and more. Greater Raleigh is also fast becoming a go-to destination for a wide variety of sports, from ones you'd expect like soccer, basketball, and baseball, to those that may surprise you like BMX racing, cricket, and esports. The welcome mat is out, and the invitation is open for event planners, athletes, and fans alike to jump back into everything that makes Raleigh a true sports original. Start planning your next event at RaleighSports.org or call 800-849-8499 to learn more. You can also follow at Raleigh NC Sports on social media. And now, on to the conversation. Mike Nishi has been involved with the Bank of America Chicago Marathon since 1990. With his extensive operational knowledge, he's been integral in guiding what began as a local road race of 6,000 runners to a world-class event that saw 45,000 finishers in 2019, second only to the marathon in New York. Chicago is now one of the six Abbott World Marathon majors, joining New York, Boston, London, Tokyo, and Berlin as the marathons that are considered to be the world's best. But that hasn't come without challenges, of course. Uh, The Chicago race has dealt with some serious weather concerns in recent years, and security remains paramount for races everywhere, especially after the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. The past two years, of course, have been faced with challenges related to the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2020, the Chicago race was canceled, although organizers staged what was for them their first virtual event. And in 2021, the race returned on Sunday, October 10th, marking the first of the six major marathons to get back on the road. In that regard, they beat Boston by just one day after that famed April race was pushed back on the calendar, which caused unique challenges for the Chicago organizers as well. In addition to being the main logistics point person for the Chicago race, Mike's always been someone interested in sharing his own best practices for event organizers and in learning what others are doing well for their own events. So it was no surprise that he was willing to sit down with us to discuss what worked and what was challenging for the 2021 Chicago Marathon and to talk about what areas event organizers should be focused on as they bring their own events back online. It's a great discussion with some great takeaways for organizers of events at all levels, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Mike Nishi, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Oh, thank you, Jason. Much appreciated. Great to see you and talk to you. That's for sure. It's been a little bit, a little bit, and I know that we just mentioned it before we started to hit record the last time that we were able to connect when 
everything was we're in the knee deep or up to our eyeballs, I'll say, in COVID and looking forward to to this discussion where we currently are and, and seeing, you know, where we're gonna be able to go next. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too, Mike. And you know, for starters, congratulations. The 43rd Bank of America Chicago Marathon uh, recently was held. You were the first of the major marathons to come back online in 2021. So I'm looking forward to a discussion to hear just how that process was for you. You know, one of the things that I uh, that I've always been impressed with by you, Mike, is your willingness and ability to to share your stories of event management and best practices on a number of fronts. So, uh, you know, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, talk with us about what I'm sure was a difficult and challenging race to pull off. But as you just mentioned, it's fantastic that you're able to have an event. When we were talking last uh, months back, we were in a much different situation. And I thought, Mike, that maybe we would start uh, there kind of with last year because your race, uh, like many others, wasn't able to be held in person. And I think of all the areas that we cover in sports travel, I think the, I would argue that the mass participation races had it as rough as anybody in this pandemic experience, just by their very nature. Not only do you have spectators, of course, but you obviously have uh, so many people participating and the the normal challenges that go into that were heightened in such a way that it's almost uh, it's still almost difficult to comprehend but why don't we start last year Mike just uh, kind of walk us through what happened last year you had to cancel your race you went virtual why don't we start there and then we'll work our, our way up to uh, actually being able to get runners back on the street in Chicago so what was that process like last year for you Mike when you had to make that decision to shut down the the street race and go virtual uh, put us in the room there for for those discussions well, I'm sure many of the your listeners and obviously from your industry as well, whether it's running events or conferences, you know, I think all of us, you know, we're reeling and trying to figure out what does that mean to cancel. And, you know, in order to do that, all the things that we had to take into consideration. Obviously, the biggest one was the participants. What do we do with our registration and everyone when it canceled? We had everyone ready, a full participant field, you know, everyone was registered, ready to go. And so obviously there is a lot of accommodations that we had to consider, deferment and, options. Oh, and Mike, sorry. let me stop you there. What's a what's a normal field? I mean, what was your your field of runners like uh, you know, leading into the race last year? Sure. Like and I'll compare it to 2019, where we left off. And 2019 was our largest marathon ever in the history of the event. We finished nearly 46,000 participants, mm-hmm. second to New York. The um, you know, we're second largest in the world, right behind New York. They had finished in 2019, 52,000 participants. And going into 2020, we were on track to, based on how we do our estimates, and we always calculate based on how many finishers that we'll estimate to part, will complete the event that given year. So we were on track to to be around you know, nearly 47,000, 48,000 participants. So a significant increase doesn't sound like much, but when you have that many people finishing a race 26 miles through city streets, it's a big impact, a big impact in terms of our workforce and our resources that are necessary to add or continue to support that many people over the finish line. So it would have been a, a rather large, uh, you know, much larger event for our team and especially from a logistics standpoint. Yeah. And and so eventually, though, you were able to make a decision to go virtual. Did you have a virtual component of the race before that, or was this a new thing for you? No, that was brand new. And there was some other marathons, like our, our good partner at the TCS, New York City Marathon. They've had a virtual component for a few years. So when they had to cancel the event, obviously, they're 
very challenging regardless, but they already had a virtual component. So they were well prepared to be able to switch over. And they knew what that was like in order to do that. For us, that was just a brand new path that we had to cut and, and venture down ourselves. And there was a lot of learnings coming out of it. Uh, just like anything though, um, you know, there are things that we definitely learned and, and that's Maybe we'll, we'll touch on that, but I can bring that up now yeah. is something that we might want to consider going forward. Maybe that's an option that we might want to con uh, consider, whether for the marathon, but for our other events. And we do have that virtual component for our Bank of America Shamrock Shuffle that will take place next year. And we will have a virtual as well as an in-person. And what we found, especially for these um, the, the shorter distance race like the Shamrock, it did enable people to take part in the event. And we noticed that there was far more people taking part from other states and internationally than they would have, than you would have seen in an in-person. So as you know, that as many people might leave or move from the city, they still recognize the event, the brand, the logo, and they want to participate. So, you know, we want to make that available and offer. And, you know, most of it is going to be focused on in-person, but still have that option, but virtual for those that you know, want to, want to be able to participate and be part of that event, especially as we kick things off next year. Right. Well, let's segue a bit, Mike, into into this year's race. Obviously, this year, while better than last year, still had uh, some quirks and some unusual components. Uh, the you know the three of the six uh, major marathons in the world: Boston, New York, and and Chicago. Uh, you know, Boston, of course, uh, traditionally in April, but with uh, everything happening with COVID, they ended up being over. Virtually the same weekend uh, as your race this year, the the Monday after your your Sunday race. So for starters, obviously, I think everyone understood you know their need to try and get a race in. The calendar, of course, being so compressed with sports events in general, probably no ideal weekend for them. But uh, were you concerned at all going into your race that that might have an impact uh, as far as at least on the elite field? Uh, you know what you would normally see just by having uh, two such significant races back to back. Yeah, we did, we we did think through all those different scenarios, whether it was a participant uh, and draw and, and taking away some of our participant field, elite athletes as well. And I think the biggest concern that we had were shared vendors, you know, vendors that were providing services to the Abbott World Marathon Majors partners. And because we have such good relationships with our Abbott World Marathon Majors partners, we had weekly calls you know, leading up and through each of our events. And we were clear in ensuring that we uh, reviewed the different vendors that we shared and just to ensure that we weren't cannibalizing. And if there was, there was a concern that we talked through that and worked with our vendors to ensure that they had the proper support and staffing to be able to, to manage back-to-back -back events, especially for Boston that took basically took place over the same weekend. And it was very good for us to be able to work through that, have that conversation with each other in terms of the marathons, as well as the shared vendors. And it was it was good that we did have those conversations early on so we could identify and expose any type of risk involved by, you know, if something were to happen, if they had shared equipment on our event that they had a supply for Boston, et cetera. So we definitely worked through those and they, they made sure that they had the backup resources in place. They had separate equipment dedicated. So 
good, clear communication and just understanding what else was happening in our landscape and environment, not just what was immediately impacting us in our event and our city, but ensuring that we saw the landscape and we took a higher view to ensure and seeing what other races, to your point, were taking place in and around us and what type of challenges that would create. Yeah. I mean, you obviously still had a tremendous field, I would argue, by certainly by 2021 standards. You had about 35,000, uh, if I believe, uh, in, in your race, which while down from your, your peak is certainly uh, no small number given the, the situation still on the ground. Mike, how did you come up with a, a capacity? What were those discussions like for you guys as far as how many people you wanted to or, or you felt safe actually having in the field this year? Yeah, those conversations started early on in the fall of 2020, working closely with, you know, our city partners and agencies. Obviously, at that point, you know, things were, everything was canceling, things were looking pretty grim. And, but, you know, with those conversations and just making, ensuring that they were clear in terms of what our process was going into the race, our registration, we didn't want to catch anyone off guard. And so we worked and coordinated with them to ensure that they had a comfort level with a reported number that we would recruit towards. Um, and, and that's the number that we you know uh, landed on. So we felt, hey, here's what our pl- current plan at that time would be. Here are things in our process, always ensuring that in, in the event that we um, had to reduce our numbers. Here's what that plan would look like. If things got worse, here's the different types of tiers that we had implemented and created for ourselves to follow. And then in the event that you know things would have to ultimately cancel, we showed them what that plan would be as well, especially from the participants that were registered and in the system and ensuring that this was what our communication plan would be um, along those steps. And especially if, if we were to backslide and we did have to reduce that number, what our plan would be and how we'd be able to effectively communicate that. Mm. And did that number hold pretty steady for you from, from the beginning? Yeah. And, you know, we never really had to, to reduce that number. It did reduce, uh, reduce itself um, due to all the travel restrictions that we all industry was impacted, especially any events that took place in the United States. As you mentioned at the beginning with our international participant base, that number is typically over, you know, 25% of our field year over year. And that number was definitely impacted due to the travel restrictions imposed on countries and anyone coming into the United States. As you are well aware, anyone from the UK couldn't get into the United States until just recently, as well as so many of the European countries in the Shenzhen region that weren't able to travel. That's a large number for us in terms of how many people could come in or have participated in our event. So even with our, our the field that we could register to, up to, there were a lot of people from those countries that couldn't participate. But we, we didn't you know, make an accommodation for them, which I, I know that uh, so many participants were really appreciative. Um, so you can defer to the future year, etc. next year and the year after. So they really appreciated our ability to make those accommodations to those participants. So again, you know, earning and continue to have that trust with them. So hopefully we'll see them back in 2022 or 2023. But, um, you know, that was the big challenge. And at the, at the end of the day, I thought, 
you know, with the, that reduced number, it actually helped us from a logistics standpoint really provide the services necessary. It was a heavy lift regardless. And had we had a, you know, a full field in sizes back in 2019, it would have been a real challenge on, on our entire team and our support network. That's for sure. Yeah, the international component's so interesting. I imagine you guys must have been uh, just checking the news on a regular basis in ways that you in normal times wouldn't wouldn't necessarily think you you would have to do. Yeah, well, that's that, that's for sure. We're keeping an, our finger on that pulse every single day you wake up and just seeing if anything changed, either gotten more strict or loosened up. And we're obviously always hoping that something would loosen up. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, our plans were pretty were you know solid. And our communication um, to to the participants was very clear, and we continued that, and I think that really helped us, um, you know, meet their expectations and ensure that we can, you know, answer the questions and so many questions that came through to our team, and just so proud of our customer service group that we really ramped up and staffed up in order to to handle and manage all the questions that were coming in about this year's event, about different deferment and different accommodations, travel to next year. What does that look like? What are we going to launch? So, you know, there was a, there was a lot of information and questions coming through and, you know, our team definitely handled that so well from a customer service standpoint. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because I wanted to ask you a bit about staffing to your point you were fielding questions the likes of which you have never had to field before. And I imagine, you know, you've been involved with the race for so long yourself and, and you've got a, a crew there who knows what they're doing, certainly in normal times, and or at least questions they can expect to get at any point during the process. What was that like from a, from a management end to figure out who you needed to have in place even to answer these types of questions? Did you have to bring in additional staff with all these sort of different tasks that, that people might've been tasked with this year that they weren't used to doing in previous years? Absolutely. Uh, and I don't think we're unique from any other partner in this in our industry or other industries, especially from an event or conference, etc. And, you know, we were definitely feeling that we weren't immune in terms of um, we feel that we have a great organization, those that one that people want to stay with and stay with for many years. But we did you know, have several individuals depart during um, this summer and, and not in an opportune time as we needed to really ramp up and hit the ground running and, you know, really get the, the wheel moving again, which was really difficult in general with all of our staff that even have been around. And then to, to lose a few people during the summer, during the planning and implementation phase was really difficult to get over. But to your point, you know, we were able to bring in outside contractors, other people from our industry to help support, you know, our organization to really help, you know, uh, fill in some of those gaps going into race weekend weekend and even race weekend. There was a tremendous amount of support that came in from our industry partners, all willing to come in. And they did. And they showed up race directors from all around you know, helping out and just asking where they could be placed and how they could support us, just knowing how important our events coming back online are to to the entire industry and to their races as well. And so without that support, it would have been a real, real challenge. And I can't thank them for really stepping up and helping us work side by side to, to lift and get this event going this year. You're listening to the Sports Shovel Podcast. This episode is being sponsored by the Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance. It's game on in Raleigh, North Carolina, where champions of every kind and at every level play to win. 
As one of the nation's premier locations for sporting events, their world-class venues host regional showcases, national tournaments, international championships, and more. Greater Raleigh is also fast becoming a go-to destination for a wide variety of sports, from ones you'd expect like soccer, basketball, and baseball, to those that may surprise you like BMX racing, cricket, and esports. The welcome mat is out, and the invitation is open for event planners, athletes, and fans alike to jump back into everything that makes Raleigh a true sports original. Start planning your next event at raleighsports.org or call 800-849-8499 to learn more. You can also follow at Raleigh NC Sports on social media. And now, back to the conversation. Yeah, let's talk a, a bit, Mike, about what racers had to comply with and uh, you know what the rules and regulations were. Obviously, the, there's been a lot of discussion, uh, particularly in in the mass participation world, but you know with what's appropriate and and where people are gathering, what the choke points are. Talk about uh, vaccination status. Uh, what was required to run the the marathon this year in in Chicago? Sure, and you know for it, one is very difficult to you had people coming in from around the world, those that could get here as well as through, um, representing all the states, and each one obviously has their own requirements and guidelines and status. So it was difficult, you know, just kind of thinking through that and what be fair to everyone at our event. And then obviously we had our own requirements in our state and city as well that we had to comply with. So all that in consideration, you know, we thought the best and safest approach to have is in order to participate, you either had to be fully vaccinated or have a negative test 72 hours prior to your participation in the marathon. And so that was our policy. And, you know, we had to be very clear and we communicated early on. So people were well aware in terms of what was going to be required in order to participate. So the way that we were able to control and verify people's status is at the expo. And so you can get into like the McCormick place where our expo is held. And the only requirement you had to step inside the building is wearing a mask, which everyone did. And so that was the other requirement that in any facility, any building that you entered, you wore a mask. And that's just basically the guideline here in the state as well as city. So we supported that. That was a in a sense, easier to enforce because that was just the guideline here in this uh, in our city. So once they got once they entered into McCormick Place, in order to step foot into the expo, you had to either produce of um, and verify that you're fully vaccinated, or if you didn't want to um, verify, and you could also produce a negative test, seventy two hours. So that was the only way you could step foot into our expo or into our show within McCormick Place. And at that point, once you did one of those two, you were able to then pick up your packet. In the event, it was a very small number. In the event that you didn't have either a negative test or can verify that you're fully vaccinated, we did have a testing facility outside the building down the street that you were able to go to. And honestly, you can count the um, number of people that, that had to go there on my two hands. And they basically went over there, came back, and were able to then enter the expo and show floor to get your packet. That included the attendees, any general attendees. So if I came with my family and I was running, they would have to show either a negative test or um, prove that they were fully vaccinated to go inside the show. And there was no pushback. And, you know, you're always going to have a, a few people that. Yeah, were I was curious what the uh, what the response was. I mean, I, I would think yeah. by and large, people want to race and whatever they need yeah. to do, they'll do it. 
Absolutely. And and people are excited to be there. As you said earlier, we were one of the first, you know, big races in the first world marathon, Abbott World Marathon majors race to take place in the US. And people were just just so excited. And one thing through the verification process and checkpoints that we had established to enter into the Expo Hall, you know, it did form lines. We typically never have a line to get into our show. And that's what we're known for, just the ease and getting in. And there were times that you could be standing in line 30 to 40 minutes waiting for your turn to verify your paperwork and documents, et cetera. But no one was upset. Everyone was just excited. Everyone is extremely patient and grateful to be able to have this opportunity. And I think they appreciated the level of um, scrutiny that we're paying to be able to participate or enter into an exhibit hall, ensuring that they were safe, the volunteers were safe, and anyone around them were safe to participate or take part in the event as well. And there was one additional layer. It's like, regardless if you're fully vaccinated or produce a negative test, we also worked with a company that that had had and tra- or has and trains um, dogs that basically are COVID canines, and so everyone was sniffed as well. And there were a couple times that the dogs did sit, but then we verified with testing on-site testing that we had available too. So there was yet just another level. And I, I tell you, I think people really appreciated just having that level of testing and really feeling confident that everyone around you stepping into that hall was um, that was vetted through that process. And I think more comfortable to be able to participate and be amongst other people. Was that the first time you've ever had dogs on the payroll at the Chicago Marathon? No, there has definitely been dogs, but different capacity. So other dogs we still have for, you know, uh, screening for any type of devices or, you know, know, any bomb sniffing dogs, et cetera. But for this dog specifically for COVID, yes. Your, you know, well, your staff is expanding in more ways than one, I, I suppose. <laughs> and so, Definitely. Uh, so, Mike, what what else did you have to factor in? I mean, uh, the starting line, finish line, uh, did those look different than they would have you know, before all this began? If you participate in 2019 and you, you participate in 2021, you probably didn't see much of a difference. You probably would feel it based on how we controlled rate and flow in terms of people coming into uh, the park, Grant Park, where we have the start and finish line, and only participants were allowed in at the morning, and then spectators go through the same screening. I, I, it's more for, you know, from a security aspect and bag checks and screening process. But, you know, with the reduced field, we were still able to use the same footprint as we did in 2019. We just had more space, which is good. It just fit into our plans that with the reduced field within each corral, within their respective waves, you just had a lot more space and plenty of space to spread out. So that worked, you know, we didn't really have to change much from that plan. And then when we, when, because we had less people to start, we could create more gaps in between each corral release. So instead of like two minutes, we could do four minutes and then larger breaks between each wave one, wave two and wave three, so it really enabled us to control and regulate how many people are on course. And once they were on course, how spread out people were. So it definitely helped for a number of things. One, just your confidence and being spread out and you work close to other people, your access to fluids and spreading out, you know, when you go through a volunteer station or aid station, and we had 20 of those, 
And as you probably are aware, we had not ideal conditions. And on top of everything else that we had to deal with, hot, right? we had a hot day. Yeah. yeah, we had a hot and uh, humid day, which again, this this was this really helped get the runners and uh, give runners more space and ability to get to the fluids at, at the aid stations. Um, so it did help us in, in that manner as well. Mike, you mentioned uh, volunteers in your answer there. Talk to me about that. Was it was it difficult getting volunteers this year? It was difficult. Um, but getting the volunteers, recruiting them, as well as retaining the ones that we had and replacing the ones that um, couldn't commit or weren't allowed to participate. For as you can imagine, the way that many of our events or many events recruit volunteers is whether through corporations, volunteer groups, that being schools and high schools to colleges, and a lot, uh, a lot of those groups weren't allowed to participate in organized, you know, in-person events. So we lost uh, a lot of group leaders, captains, as well as um, volunteers because of that, and we were scrambling to, you know, truly replace a lot of those volunteers and it was it was a big challenge we did it at the end of the, at the end of the day we got them but it was very difficult um to especially getting the volunteers is one thing but then ensuring that we can train the group leaders as well as aid station captains or coordinators into those roles took a lot of dish, uh, additional effort and that's what we did have to go out and, and bring in additional contractors to help us with that training to help us you know, work with those uh, new groups and get them familiar with what their roles were going to be race weekend. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's uh, that's an issue certainly not unique to your race. I think we're seeing that across the sports event industry, and I don't necessarily know what the answer is, uh, you know, moving forward. I think that's going to be a challenge for everybody. Mike, what is your day like during the marathon itself? How early are you waking up to be uh, to be part of this once race day actually comes? Well, it's, it, I think all week you're, you're just up early and you're waking up at 4, you know, 4 a.m. and getting your day going and just get, keeping abreast of the team and checking in, seeing if any things popped up and with everything else that was happening. And then you, you, know, you finish up your day, uh, hopefully around 8 or 9 p.m. And then hopefully get some some sleep. Come race weekend, then it's it's you're you're up at two a.m. and you're starting your day. And on race day for the marathon, I work in the forward command, which is our race command center. So my day in that facility will start at three a.m. and then I'll go to the to the very end until the race is over. I stepped out of there, I think, on race day at like six p.m. So it's a it's a long day, uh, but it, you know it's a, a great motivating day there was just so much energy in there just being back together and being able to produce an event um, again in person live and, and knowing how many people we impacted positively that you know it was, uh, it was such a great feeling you know you mentioned security i know mike you've been involved for years and in, uh, on that particular aspect of, uh, of event management it uh it almost seems lost in the shuffle with all the other things happening with covid regulations and everything else but obviously that threat and that issue never goes away even on top of everything else that you were dealing with this year that would not have been things you normally would deal with no true it's you know those are things that we work closely with the city obviously with on one front dealing with COVID. And, you know, we got to the point that everyone was uh, competent, that we had the plan and that we could execute against that. And we were illustrating, you know, our policy and how we'd execute that, just as I mentioned earlier. And then we did switch gears with the city and we went through a number of tabletop and workshops with them, you know, basically every other week. And every week we had a meeting going over, just to your point, the safety and security of the event, just not to lose sight. So 
when you stepped into those meetings, you would, if, if you're an outsider walking in, you'd probably think, why aren't they talking about COVID? Because we already had those plans and we were now executing against them. Now we were going through and working with our, our city partners to review the different scenarios and what those plans would look like in the event that something would happen and what would that escalation look like and how would we respond. So from um, you know uh, from the sports safety and security aspect, those are the things that we really focused in on. All You do this year round, but really with our partners two months out, really honing into that exact point. Yeah, as uh, as we're wrapping up here, Mike, uh, I want to touch on one thing you you mentioned. Obviously, one of the things that you and and any race organizer has no control over, of course, is the weather. Uh, you've had a, a couple years in Chicago where you've had some hot days. You know, in October, I mean, there's not much you can do about it other than your place on the schedule. But uh, can you envision a time where you may need to move this race later in the year just to guarantee a a, a cooler day? Well, I. You know, we've tried earlier where it was really, we had to move our date to like September and it was one of the coldest, most miserable days <laughs> imaginable. We've had, as you've known from our past in 2007, you know, we had to cancel the race due to just uh, you know high temperatures and humidity the following year, almost identical temperatures, humidity. Then the uh, year after that, 2009, we had a cold year and then 2010, another hot year. Then a couple of years where it was cold or ideal. So it's really hard um, during this time. Uh, and, and I think later in the season, if you, you look at the temperatures, it, you know, it just fluctuates. It's really, really difficult. And, you know, as soon as we make that move, I'm sure that, you know, it's going to be, it, it would be like snowing and we'd have like 10 <laughs> inches of snow to have to deal with. It's true. It seems you can never win, especially uh, trying to uh, outsmart the weather. So, uh, you know, you have to deal with those. As they come, Mike. What kind of feedback did you get from from racers? We're a few weeks out from the race. I assume you've been uh, collecting some input or, or feedback from your participants. Uh, were they, by and large, pleased with how things went despite the uh, the extra hurdles this year? Oh yeah, I, I, that, that's all we've been hearing and seeing is just a tremendous outpouring of thanks and how excited they were from all sides, whether it was the runners the volunteers that were able to be out there and support them in the spectators. And that's all we've been hearing. And it's been really uplifting and really helps us, you know, from a staff standpoint and our morale. And, you know, that did take a hit in terms of all the heavy lifting that we went through to get us to, to produce that event. It really does help us and, and help everyone that that effort and extra effort was definitely noticed by so many people. And we appreciate that type of feedback and that outpouring um, and how many people positively responded to their experience this past uh, October 10th. Yeah. And Mike, for next year, uh, if all goes well, what are you looking for as far as a uh, field size? I know your registration's already open. So what's the uh, what's the hope, at least at this point, uh, a year out? You know, we're, we're, we're uh, definitely optimistic that we'll be back to maybe numbers that we saw in 2019. Maybe not where we where we were at 2020, but that's okay. You know, again, I think we need to to take these gradual steps um, back. You know, I think we all know, and we're keeping a close eye, even though that we successfully produced an event this year. You know, I think everyone's eager, and you definitely have seen people wanting to come back. 
And, you know, the demand is there, but we also need to be careful in terms of just because we, the demand is there to, for people to participate, you know, it's another story in terms of fulfilling and being able to service all those participants. And I, I don't think we're quite in the clear when it comes to that. So we need to be extra cautious just to, to see what's happening when it comes to su- supply chain with our vendors. There's still delays and shortages that have not been resolved. And I don't see that being resolved anytime soon. Workforce, I, I still think we're going to have our challenges when it comes to, you know, uh, the event staff and recruiting, especially volunteers. You know, we also saw vendors, many of our vendors having the same shortage, um, people shortage, workforce shortage issues that we did. And I think that's going to continue, you know, uh, through the several months of next year. So we need to be careful and keep and monitor what's happening around us and, and, and especially from a staffing and supply chain standpoint. You know, hopefully things will correct in 2023, but I don't want to turn the spigot on too much in 2021, um, just, uh, you know, or 2022, excuse me, uh, because I, I fear that we wouldn't be able to create the experience that they're going to expect. As you know, I think they've been, our participants and, and volunteers have been very patient um, to be able to help us get an event back online. But now that more events will come back and started coming back this fall, throughout the beginning of next season, I think that expectation that our participants and our customers will have will be much higher. And I think I don't think they'll be as patient as the next fall comes around again. So we need to be cautious and ensure that we can provide that experience. So we'll need a, definitely a larger workforce to do that and ensure that we can get the materials and supplies necessary to accommodate their needs. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating uh, for you and for for everybody. I think uh, moving forward. So, uh, Mike, just uh, in in closing here, I mean, uh, it's always great, of course, to be on the other side of your largest event, uh, which you are. So, congratulations on getting there uh, this year. For for our audience of uh, of event organizers, I mean, having just gone through this whole experience yourself, any uh, final uh, words of wisdom, I guess, on the what they should be thinking about as they're proceeding with their own events, as as some of these events are, you know, for the first time, still coming back online. Yeah, I think, you know, one, one thing that we did see is just the, the strain, the pressure that all of us had been under just the, from your staff and every staff member, and not just from a work standpoint, we all are dealing with so many external pressures personally and professionally, and especially from a personal standpoint. And as we're all shifting and trying to figure out how do we return to the office, what's this hybrid work from home or work from office will look like just adding additional strain and stress on all of our employees that, you know, we need to be mindful of that as leaders of our organizations, uh, make sure that our team is well cared for. Um, and even, you know, as we go through this holiday seasons, there's still so much pressure unknown that they're dealing with that we're all dealing with that we have to pay close attention to. You know, it's. It, I think everyone's really hired, worn out, and you know, to continue to push them. And as you know, we we did one big event, really, really well in the fall. Now we're planning to to do a, an event in the spring, uh, another half marathon, inaugural half inaugural half marathon in the summer, then the marathon again in the fall. That's that's a lot of work coming ahead of us, um, and we need to ensure that our our team is well taken care of and prepared and rested to be able to to pick up and you know, have three large events throughout next season. Yeah, I think it's a great a great point and a great emphasis, Mike. Uh, obviously, everyone's so focused on the participants, on the spectators, but uh, the staff and the and the people who are making all this magic happen behind the scenes for obvious reasons they need to be taken care of as well. So 
you know, congratulations to you and, and your team for for focusing on that, for for getting through this year uh, as well as you did. And, you know, Mike, we appreciate you taking your time out as always, just to kind of share uh, your thoughts and experiences. Uh, I think as goes your race uh, in a lot of ways, goes uh, other events around the country and, and around the world this year, as we're seeing with uh, with you guys being sort of the first one back. So, um, you know, would love to stay in touch with you. And, and uh, as always, just uh, appreciative of, of your time. Well, thank you, Jason. Thanks for this opportunity. And you can always reach out. I'm just a Zoom call away. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much, Mike. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewertz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.